Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at BI Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. Hello, good people. It's one new week and it's one new episode of Grumpy GDPR. And hello, Ria. It's been an eternity, especially in data protection terms. Of course, it always feels like that. Yeah, right. Good to see you again. Likewise. It's been uh, such a long time since we spoke last, once again, it feels like, but so, so, so much has happened, uh, especially in Norway. We've had some astonishing developments when it comes to data protection and once again, Schrems 2, which by now feels like Schrems 172. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have just got our hands on on a brand new set of guidelines issued by a Norwegian uh, national agency, which is called DFE which uh, translates to... The Agency for Public and Financial Management. And yes, I had that written down. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. So they've written a new set of guidelines about Schrems 2, in which they partly disagree with what national data protection authorities had to say. Why don't you tell us a bit more about this? Because this is so exciting. Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack about this and I'm super excited. It's uh, As you say, there's so many things happening in the world of privacy and data protection. How can we all keep up? So uh, this just landed as dynamite in the our community last week. And should I give some brief background to this perhaps? Please, please do. So, well, Schrems 2 is not new. Uh, 16th of July 2020, sure. Then uh, it took uh, some time before the Norwegian authorities, apart from the Norwegian DPA, got to meet, but they did about a year ago. And this was represented by about, I think, almost 30 Norwegian public sector organizations. They decided to go ahead and form a working group to create this guidance for use of cloud services in the Norwegian public sector. So they agreed uh, and about 10 of these uh, authorities got together, represented by areas of tax, health, police, etc. To, uh, to start working on this. And the interesting part here is uh, that the DPA, they participated only in one meeting last October, uh, that was. And the former director of the DPA uh, had quite the uh, statement in that meeting. Have you seen that? Yeah, uh, it's something along the lines of no other agency should be uh, coming forth with a different understanding to our understanding of the law, if I recall correctly. I think you summarized that pretty well. So I think that is actually exactly where I want to start today. So before we get into the technicalities of Schrems 2, I'm really curious about your opinion. Is it good that there are several agencies which are coming with their uh, own interpretations of Schrems 2, or does that just create confusion? Oh my gosh, I love that you asked me that question, because if you asked me immediately after uh, I saw the guidance, I would have been, this is unfortunate, and it creates more confusion in the market with uh, different public uh, sector authorities providing different guidances. Then I had a discussion and a very wise man said that he thinks it's actually brilliant that somebody challenges the DPA. I gave it some thought for a couple of days, and... I actually had to eat my own words. I take it back. I actually agree with him because it is a, such an important aspect of our uh, community and our society. Freedom of speech, being able to disagree 
with the authorities is one of the very things that is the most important in the fabric of society, the democratic society. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You see, I get super excited about this, but I was wrong. I take it back. <laughs> no, wait. It was the brilliant man you just mentioned me? Like, just out of curiosity, because I, I hold that exact same opinion. Uh, regardless. It wasn't actually this time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Um, I'll have to hunt this person down. No, uh, jokes aside, I think that looking into this uh, specific issue, you know, should several authorities be interpreting this? Should there be some third party actors which are giving advice? I said the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Because we know that data protection authorities also have this role of advocating for kind of strict approach to data protection because they represent the interests of the data subjects of course a bit more fiercely than your average other authority would or your average uh you know other once again uh other party and i think you raise a very good point about the democratic importance of being able to challenge data protection authorities because if we only have one interpretation of the law and bear in mind, once again, uh, there are so many different ways to interpret the GDPR. If we only defer and always defer to the interpretation of data protection authorities, which are not necessarily uh, in any way anchored in the legal text itself, this is going to create some problems, democratic problems, because nobody voted them in to be the legislators, right? And then when you have different yeah. interpretations, I mean, uh, it allows us to move the law forward. If nothing else, people can complain, the cases can be handled. Uh, if people apply the law differently, then we can at least see the progression of the case law. So it's super important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very important to emphasize that uh, we're not saying that we should contradict a ruling because when things go through the courts and through the whole legal system, that is one thing and that is a separate issue in my opinion. If you have an actual court ruling that is legally binding, I think what we're talking about here is nuances in a ruling. Like how should, because of course a ruling can be interpreted as well. And there are some things that are clear cut that is that's absolutely no doubt about. But there are other things, for example, how to apply FISA 702 or if FISA 702 is applicable to the transfer in question, for example. Uh, it, for example, when does a transfer happen? So I'm not talking about contradicting legal rulings here. We are talking about the nuances that isn't clear because everything isn't clear in the Schrems 2 judgment either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly the point, right? If the Court of Justice was not entirely clear on a certain point, they should get a chance to kind of follow up in a new case. And that cannot happen unless new cases emerge, if everybody sticks to the relatively strict interpretation given by the data protection authorities. But I mean, there are many ways to kind of slice this particular issue. Like in the US, for instance, they have what they call Chevron Doctrine, if I yeah, if I recall correctly, where the point is basically even courts are going to defer to how uh, authorities interpret the law if it's not unreasonable, the interpretation itself, and the law is not entirely clear. Uh, in Within EU, I think we have far less deference to the administrative authority. So we should just be aware of the fact that, you know, it is a hallmark of democracy. But enough of me being, you know, highly perched and talking about the state of division of power as such. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the guidelines themselves? So what was the most shocking thing to you that you've read in the guidelines? 
Oh my gosh. I think the thing that I was most struck by perhaps immediately was that transferring employee personal data is okay without supplementary measures. Because there are a lot of issues in the guidance that I know, and they've listed themselves explicitly three points where they say that we uh, might not disagree with the Danish and the Norwegian uh, data protection authorities. But, and I agree that there are nuances there, but transferring, when you know that you are transferring the personal data of data subjects to the US using cloud services that are subject to FISA 702 in some form, uh, that I think was uh, very surprising to read. Well, I mean, it's just basically opposite for an entirely risk-based approach, right? The interesting thing is that uh, I think they are avoiding using the term risk assessment. They are calling it, uh, um, what is the English word for that? Helhetsvurdering. So it's uh, just a broader assessment, uh, if you will. So, I, 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 But I couldn't say that I know for a fact that the transfer of employee data is unlawful because we need to also know that FISA 702 actually applies to that specific transfer, mm. which is a question that isn't necessarily uh, solved in Schrems 2. Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, and honestly, I have no idea if this was maybe covered in other legal sources, but when I take a step back and just take their uh, kind of departing point or rather starting point, uh, when you see that they claim that there is no international data transfer within the context of chapter five, if the bytes have not actually crossed the, uh, you know, I don't know how to say it, cross the border to another land, but basically mm -hmm. if there is no transfer, there is no transfer. And to me that sounds, you know, very, actually very reasonable, extremely reasonable. What do you think? I agree. I absolutely agree. And I have given this so much thought because it's such, uh, I'm almost like stunned by the thought even, yeah. because if there is no transfer, chapter five does not apply. Exactly. And it, we all talk about this, uh, this uh, theoretical opportunity. And for example, the use of uh, support people outside of the EEA, for example, in the US, using uh, remote access. But there is no transfer until that remote access has actually been used. So this is a point that uh, the guidance addresses uh, quite a lot, which is very interesting. It what is. do you think about that? No, I think it it makes perfect sense. Like uh, I cannot believe that this was not you know uh, covered in some covered in some other way because I always believed it to be like a very uh, basic thing that uh, you making data available basically means that there is a transfer. But when I stop and think about it, that makes no sense at all. Like if I write down your name right now and I just put it, I don't know, on my computer, uh, not even on my computer. I have no idea where, like I write down your name <laughs> and people can theoretically see it from the space station. Like, does that mean that there was an international data transfer? I guess not the space station, but huh, are there an international <laughs> organization? Uh, this just means that we can always talk about the GDPR, but no, it makes no sense that if I put something on a public server, I suddenly have transferred data to a third country. I can see that. But taking that point further even, in your data processing agreement, you uh, agree that uh, personal data should not be transferred outside of the EEA. 
Then there's a condition in that DPA about uh, a lawful access request from uh, the US government, for example. But no transfer has happened in that scenario either. Yeah. Mm. So I see how that would kind of throw a wench into the whole, um, basically into the whole enforcement thing, because I think it would be up to the data protection authorities to actually prove that a, that a transfer took place before they could issue any um, sanctions, essentially. Or I actually read a great example, an analogy for this case. Uh, if you imagine that you and I share a bank account, so it's my bank account, but I give you permission to uh, to use it. But you are not actually transferring anything before you actually transfer money from my account to your account or pay a bill using my account. Mm. Only that you have that potential access doesn't mean that a transfer has taken place until you actually used that, uh, that uh, possibility. It just sounds like so common sense. It, it makes perfect sense to me and it solves a lot of problems, I would say. And it would be difficult to argue to the best extent of my knowledge. Otherwise, it might be worth looking back into the definition of processing because, or transfers even because there could be something hidden in there, but I don't think they would have overlooked it. And I think the thing here is that, so this guidance reignited the whole Schrems 2 debate. And some people, especially on LinkedIn, um, voice opinions around this being just a way to try to get around issues. Uh, I've even seen people accusing other people of being lazy and not trying to, uh, to find solutions that actually work. Uh, I don't think we should underplay how resource demanding it is to to actually try to move services. I, in my tiny business that I mentioned a few times now, have uh, struggled with this myself. And just imagining the whole public sector of a country moving away from Microsoft 365, for example, is a massive undertaking. And then you can argue that, well, uh, the Swedish government has uh, already been working on this for uh, many, many months, and they are looking at uh, other solutions that are actually in line with Trump's too. So what about Norway then? Are we, are we uh, slow? Are we uh, too lazy to, uh, to do the work? Or what's up with us? I think uh, one thing which really strikes me now is that it's perhaps exactly because people care so much about this, because they devote so much time and energy into reading a ruling which, uh, well, let's put it mildly, is complex. Perhaps that's why it's taking such a long time. I know that that's probably very optimistic, but it could be actually that it's difficult to find alternative solutions, as you say, and that actually uh, getting to the bottom of this ruling is quite, quite challenging. But I'm very happy that, you know, people are out there forming working groups such as this one, taking, uh, challenging the common wisdom of, you know what, saying that tra there is no transfer until there is an actual transfer, as I said. Mm. And then taking this risk-based assessment. So they say that employee data will usually not uh, be transferred, like unless you store it explicitly, everything somewhere that like usually there won't be a huge risk associated with it. As you mentioned, support data also. They do several times mention that data controllers must be held accountable and it's up to them to check. But I, I think for many smaller agencies, it's nice to see this type of guidelines, to see the questions they should ask. Yeah, and I think that the the amount of work put on this is uh, in this guidance is considerable. 
Uh, as many discovered, there is no uh, one print PDF of the thing. So, of course, I had to make one. I was able to squeeze it into 40 pages with two columns and font size nine. Before that, it was uh, at least double. So I've posted that on my LinkedIn profile for those who are interested. And no, I have not made an English translation yet uh, because this is not final. And I think maybe we should, that is a good segue into mentioning that just following the guidance, the Norwegian DPA quickly released a joint statement with uh, DFÖ and uh, DIGDIR, uh, which is the Norwegian Digitalization Agency. And uh, there they said that uh, there, the guidance, unfortunately, has created some confusion and they are working to, I don't know, uh, they are discussing what, uh, what the common uh, standpoint should be, I guess. Do you think they'll find one? Well, it depends. I, th I don't think that they're as far apart as it might seem. And to me, it does seem like they actually share a very common goal, which is to bring some legal certainty. And it could very well be that they're just approaching this from two different standpoints, that it's natural for the data protection authorities to bring forward once again legal legal certainty to what is an uncertain area by enforcing. So we've seen that the Danish DPA has actually done its effort thereby going out there and uh, properly, kind of properly, enforcing the rules. Uh, and we will see what happens mm. in courts after that. And then we also have this type of effort uh, where you try to give some guidance in the meantime to the uh, perhaps smaller organizations, perhaps organizations which are struggling uh, to really understand the extent of uh, the law right now. So I think uh, the objective might be, might be the same to bring some clarity to the law and to help the organizations apply it. Yeah, and this guidance was actually created for the public sector's use of cloud. So uh, it's definitely meant for the larger organizations. But as you say, I think uh, a good takeaway for the smaller companies and uh, organizations is that it, there's a lot of information you can leverage here. Mm -hmm. um, with regards to the disagreements, I think... So I mentioned the three issues that they pointed out themselves, but I suspect that the most controversy is uh, around the, for example, uh, there is such a low risk to the employee's personal data being a name and email address that that should be fine. And I think that is uh, maybe the thing that I read that might be in um, most like opposite of uh, what's in the Schrems 2 uh, ruling. Well, to me, it's on that fine line because it feels like they came with enough disclaimers and they have, you know, repeatedly said you need to act in accordance with the accountability principle. You need to uh, make sure that this actually applies to your scenario that I can say, you know what, it's fine. Like, I think that they... Uh, made it pretty clear, basically, that this is their assessment of only a few categories of data of a specific scenario, that it's made more as a template and a starting point for the um, for the other agencies. So from, you know, that wasn't that shocking to me. What was more shocking was this whole discussion on whether or not you can instruct your processors. So in your Article 28 agreement, if you can actually instruct them to deliver data to uh, third, sorry, third country intelligence services. And uh, I think that they had a very interesting discussion on that because they say that within, of course, the framework of the applicable contract law, uh, it's 
and the data protection framework, it's hard to see a scenario in which uh, your processor would be instructed to do something like this, uh, properly instructed. But then the flip side of that is that they immediately conclude, okay, but when a processor then does this, they become an independent controller, if I'm reading the guidance correctly, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's how I understood it as well. And this is a, a huge thing, actually, because uh, then it's it's two different roles, obviously. Then they become the the uh, controller, which uh, seems to make sense. So I think the, the point where they disagreed or where they didn't see completely eye to eye is whether or not that should be an instruction or it's simply a condition. Mm. of the deep uh, data processing agreement. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a fair point. I think that this whole discussion is actually very, very complex. So if your processor starts using data as an independent controller for a purpose uh, over which you have no control, does that then mean that you've failed your Article 28.1 duties? And I think that's the part which I can't really seem to find uh, that easily uh, in the guidelines, apart from them stating that you need to uh, make that kind of assessment. And I think it's actually also what the Danish uh, Helsinger cases were about, uh, right? They just uh, yes. went straight to 28.1. Yeah, because um, in the Danish Helsinger cases, as you mentioned, the if you, if you expect your processor to violate the data processing agreement, you shouldn't appoint them in the first place. Yeah. Mm. But then... In the guidelines, they raise the question of, do you need a legal basis to then transfer data to the, this side, which used to be a processor? My God, this is like five-dimensional chess. We need somebody <laughs> who actually wrote the guidelines to help us understand them. For me, the starting point is uh, there is no transfer unless there is a transfer and you're not instructing processors. They become controllers on their own, I think. And I, I'm not that surprised that we're still discussing the ruling Immediately after it uh, hit the market, everybody was confused. And I listened to a podcast from, that must have been October 2020, with the former director of the Norwegian DPA, who said then in October, following the July ruling, that this was so hugely complex that they couldn't, they were still working on guidance, they were still working on understanding the complexities themselves. Uh, although the opinion obviously had been there for uh, quite a longer time as well. So it, it just goes to show that this is such a complex area. And I'll also mention in the same podcast, the former director of the Norwegian DPA, he uh, also said that in his personal opinion, there was only one solution to this issue. And do you know what that is? No. A new agreement on the political level between the US and the uh, EU. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think we're all hoping for that. And I think that's, that's you know, just, uh, it would be just the perfect solution to all of this. But my problem is this, like, I just feel that on some level, like the same way I said, I could never be a judge, like whomever opinion I hear the last is the person that I will end up agreeing with, because I also fully appreciate how data protection authorities do not have an easy job dealing with this, how they're dealt, you know, a card, a set of cards, which make it difficult for them to actually fulfill their role in a meaningful way. And then uh, at the same time, I fully agree with these guidelines. So I just don't know. I agree with everything today. I'm not grumpy at all. 
Oh my gosh, we are not grumpy because the same here. I I see both perspectives and uh, I think the DPI, DPAs find themselves in a real challenging situation because they have no choice. They have to enforce the Schrems II ruling. That's explicitly spelled out in the ruling itself. I think the, the, the really tricky thing here is that people disagree in the on the interpretation of the ruling so there are some as i said clear cut issues but there are still nuances there that haven't been properly defined and i'm afraid that we won't get any clarity until another case goes through the systems and uh, up through the courts yeah because i mean it is such an interesting ruling and there are so many things to talk about here right Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think this is the last we'll hear about this ruling. And I am excited to follow the debate uh, onwards. Um, there are so many opinions. And if you looked at some of the LinkedIn uh, posts and comments, people are on fire. And I think that's fully justified because I know that it feels like we're talking about the advancement of the law the whole day, but I think that's exactly the point. Data protection should be engaging. It should uh, encourage debates. Debates will get people to meet. There will be many seminars and talks, exchanges of knowledge. So who knows, maybe by being so imprecise, the Court of Justice did us all a favor. <laughs> well, we shall see. And I think we should get someone to join us uh, for another episode on this guidance. What do you think about that? I think that would be wonderful. It would be definitely wonderful to continue discussing these issues and going a bit more in-depth into the guidance uh, itself. And perhaps uh, by then uh, we will have the finalized version of the text so that it can be also published and discussed uh, internationally, which I think would be beneficial. How about you? That sounds great. I can't wait. Me neither. Talk soon. Take care. Bye.